understand the grief that Mary would have been feeling knowing that her friend, even though this was kind of the, the second morning since his death, she was still taken back by her emotions. And it says that she wept and she looked into the empty tomb and saw two angels there. And then she turned and she actually, she thought it was the gardener. It says in the scripture that she didn't realize it was Jesus, but Jesus was standing there. He had risen from the grave and she didn't recognize him until he spoke her name. He just said Mary, and then she realized who he was. That, was. that was one of the first appearances of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, to his followers. And then just after that, it says in John 20 that Jesus' other followers, the disciples, were in a locked room, but Thomas wasn't there. For whatever reason, Thomas was out. Maybe he was getting the coffee. I don't know. But they were in a locked room. They were afraid because their leader had just been crucified, this terrible capital punishment. And so um, they were in a locked room, and it says that Jesus appeared in that locked room. Apparently, he could go through walls and doors, and Jesus' hands and side identified him. He said, look, this is me. I I've got the marks in my hands and in my side from when he was hung on the cross. Nails went through his hand, and then a spear pierced his side as he died. And then a little bit later, the next event in John chapter 20, in that same house, a week later, the disciples were there again, and Thomas was there, and Jesus came and appeared again, just showed up in this locked room. And Thomas, the one we call Doubting Thomas, got his name at that moment because he said, I'm only going to believe it if I see it. Well, Jesus came so he could see it. And Thomas, it says, touched Jesus' nail marks and put his hand in Jesus' side. So this is Jesus appearing to his disciples. And then there's a story in Luke chapter 24. There were a couple folks who were believers in Jesus Christ, but they were still not sure what was going on. They'd been hearing, hearing rumors about this risen Christ, but hadn't seen anything. And, and so they were walking on a road toward a town called Emmaus. It says that Jesus walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. When he broke bread, though, so they traveled for a while, and he taught them about who he was. And when he broke bread, they recognized him. And he called them foolish for being so slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And then when these two believers who were on this road to Emmaus talked with Jesus for, for a good portion of the journey and then didn't recognize him until he broke bread and ate with him, they went back and reported to the 11 and all the disciples who were still in this upper room, they reported what happened. Jesus appeared among them. They thought he was a ghost. But as Jesus was meeting with these disciples this time, we know that he had flesh and bones. His, his hands and feet were still marked from the crucifixion. And in fact, he says to his disciples, he had appeared to the ones on the road, and now he's in the room while the stories are being told. And, and he says, hey, do you have any fish? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And Jesus, who had been dead in the grave and who rose, ate a piece of broiled fish. Now, why are we talking about this? What does it matter how Jesus appeared to his disciples in those 40 days after he rose from the grave. Well, here's how it kind of ties together. In the book of 1 John, chapter 3, John writes, in fact, John was one of the men who was in that room when Jesus appeared, but much later, John wrote, Dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So what was Jesus like after he was resurrected, after he got his resurrection body? Well, as we saw from the road to Emmaus and the experience in the closed room and in Jesus' appearance to Mary, there is something different about Jesus' resurrection body than there was about the body that he walked with and lived with for the first 33 years of his life here on this earth. 
It says that his disciples who knew him, when they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. There was, I don't know what a ghost looks like. I don't know if any of you have any imaginations of what a ghost looks like, but these people certainly had apparently heard ghost stories. And when they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. Mary thought he was the gardener. But Jesus had flesh and blood. I can't say flesh and bones today. Flesh and bones. And when these disciples were in their right frame of mind, they knew Jesus. They could recognize him. His hands and feet were still marked from the crucifixion. It wasn't as if every indication of his earthly life had gone away. Some remnants of his earthly body remained. And he ate a piece of broiled fish. He wasn't just some hologram. He was physical and real. Yet he could do things that none of us are able to do. Walls and locked doors were not a factor for him. He was able to move in a way that was beyond the physical. So with this resurrected Jesus and these stories that are told about how he appeared after he was resurrected, there is something recognizable but different with the eternal body that he received after he rose from the grave. And what the scripture tells us is that we're going to get bodies like that too. We're going to get bodies like that too one day. When we die and when Christ makes everything right, and when we are resurrected, and when we look forward to our eternity in heaven, we too are going to receive new bodies. And they're going to be a lot like the one that Jesus got. But, but we're going to be recognizable as ourselves, but there, there's something different going on. This is what I want to talk about today, because this is what Paul is addressing in this last chunk of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's talking about how resurrection is central to God's agenda for humanity. And 1 Corinthians has been showing us this argument that Paul is having with the church in Corinth, trying to convince them to make sure that they understand that resurrection is real. Many people in Corinth, they were wrapped up in Greek philosophy, and, and a lot of times the Greeks had this idea or had this picture that the physical body was filthy and bad, and the only good stuff came through the spirit and the soul. But here Paul is saying, no, you're going to be given a new physical body. And even though some people had wrong ideas about resurrection, there, there's a passage that we kind of glossed over last week talking about people being baptized for their loved ones who died before them. Paul says that's, there's no legitimacy in that. You can't be baptized on someone else's behalf. But he says even in this, you've got this idea that resurrection happens. You've just got it wrong. And, and then moving forward, Paul says, even though some thought that nothing happened when they died, that they just stopped existing, he says, we don't just spend our lives eating and drinking and being merry. We do indeed get resurrected at the time when Christ thinks it's right. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this, and now Paul sets the record straight. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll start in verse 35. Paul says, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Remember, Paul is writing this letter to churches, and now today we get to read it ourselves. So he's kind of having this hypothetical argument so that they can understand the message. Paul says, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And then he says in verse 36, how foolish. He says, listen, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Are any of you sowers? Not sowers, not needle and thread. Sowers as in planting. He says, what you sow, when you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. Fish another. There are also heavenly bodies. There are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. 
The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and a star differs from star in splendor. Here Paul is saying, look, we understand that there are all kinds of different bodies, even on this earth, people and humans and, and the stars and the sun, and all these different things are inexistent, and there are all these different kinds of bodies. And I think um, the best way for me to explain it to you, I'm going to need some help. You three guys in the front, could you give me some help here? Come on up. Each take a handful of cups, like a third of them. There you go. All right. Hold them out. We're going to fill some cups here. There you go. I don't know how we're going to do this. Let's, I should have thought this through. Oh, somebody's going to have to dust off the piano. Tanya, I'm so sorry. Austin, why don't you go um, start over here at the end of the row and just pass it on. Everybody take a, take a kernel of corn and just we'll pass it all around. You guys kind of get the gist. Why don't you hand them out to the rest of the people? I got stuff to talk about. It's all right. I'll, I'll take that one, Brandon. Now, the corn you're getting, this is not seed corn. It's, it's got no chemicals on it. There's no fertilizer on it. It's clean. It was harvested back in the fall and, and saved until just this moment, just for you. Take one of these. Everybody just take one. I mean, I can guarantee every one of you has held one of these before, but I want to think about it with you. Looks like we might have enough cups, guys. Go ahead and just give out the rest of what you got. Start over here. Pass it around. Be friendly. Share your corn. What is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 15? He's telling the people, look, what you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. Maybe it's field corn. I'm sure, and I'm, in fact, I'm very sure that this kind of corn has a very specific name. It's probably got a company that, that, that helped to produce it. It's got a number, and it's got all kinds of stuff that went into to this particular kind of corn. I don't know any of that stuff. I'm just going to keep it simple, kind of like Paul did. What you're holding in your hands is a piece of corn. And this is not people corn. For, for those of you who are not country folk, there are kind of two main kinds of corn. There's, there's field corn, which you're holding. This is ground up and fed to animals. And then there's sweet corn. That's what we eat, and that's not ready yet. We'll get that to you in a couple months. Hey, thanks, Jaden. Everybody got your corn? Y'all got your little sermon in your hand there? How many of you love planting these things and seeing them grow? Raise your hand. Some of you just love it. Like some of you have made a career out of this, right? Some of you were able to eat growing up because people loved doing this. This is a great time of year for an example like this. I'm so excited that 1 Corinthians 15 came here in the spring. This time, whether you're planting hundreds of acres of crops or just setting up a tiny garden or a window box, how many of you love planting seeds and watching stuff grow? Just this morning, I took a little walk out the back and the rain came last night. This, by the way, is why we rejoice that rain falls because we know that it helps to, to bring a crop. Just this morning, I was taking a little walk on the farm behind our house and I saw a row of uh, soybeans that just had just broken the ground. I didn't notice them yesterday. Maybe they were there, but I didn't see them. I saw them today. Why do we love planting these seeds? Is it just because we have this fascination with putting things in the ground? No, 
Those of you who love it, don't you love seeing the plants come up? Seeing your corn pop up in rows? See, what you plant, though, doesn't spring up in the same form as when you plant it. I have never seen a giant kernel of corn in the middle of any of your fields. What's Paul saying here? He gets into this whole body thing, and we might say that kind of gets abstract, but Paul is trying to make a point about life here. Paul is trying to talk about Jesus and what happened when Jesus died and was planted in the ground. He came back to life and his body, it was different. It was recognizable. People, once they realized what was going on, they could see that it was him, but it was different than what was put in the ground, right? Did you get that picture? Mary thought he was the gardener. Some other people thought he was a ghost. Paul says, guys, it's just like the corn. When you plant this in the ground, if you care for it well, and if the conditions are right, you'll get a stalk that's taller than I am. And it's not yellow. It's going to be green, and it's going to be leafy, and there'll be a tassel, and there'll be a husk, and all the other stuff, and there'll be the silk. Now, of course, once you open that husk, you'll see one kernel of corn in there, right? No, the reason why you guys like planting this stuff and the reason why you can make some money at it is because it multiplies hundreds of times over. You plant a seed and then this stalk grows and it creates a fruit that has even more on it and on and on and on it goes. Paul says, you guys get this. You're not planting a stalk in the ground to get more stalk. You're planting a little piece of corn and then the corn becomes what the whole plant was meant to be. Paul says, this is what a heavenly body is like. Can you imagine, church, that what we are right now is just the little kernel of corn? And would you imagine with me that when you die, and when Christ does his work to bring you back to life, not back to life to walk around on this earth, but to spend eternity in heaven with God, can you imagine that the kernel of corn that's planted is just a sign, a signal, just a little shadow of what's going to be when the full plant grows? How is it that you will come to life in heaven? How is it that your body is going to be more spectacular, more developed, yet still recognizable, still the same kind of essence? How is it that this is going to happen? Paul says, well, this is what it's like with the resurrection of the dead. It's like the corn. Verse 42, the body that is sown, that is this body that you and I are living in right now, it's perishable. It's like the, like the fruit in the supermarket. You leave it sit around too long and it's going to go bad. Yesterday I was helping my sister and brother-in-law to move. We moved them from one house to another and they had a great team of people there. There were about 10 or 12 adults and a whole bunch of little kids. It went pretty well. But what I noticed is there's a couple other fellows that, uh, that were there whose bodies were not what they once were, and they told me about this. They told me freely. One guy has had two back operations, and so he was, and he wanted to be there, so he had this big belt, and it had suspenders, and when he had to lift something, he'd buckle it up and carry it a little bit, you know, and he said, oh, remember when we were kids? I said, yeah, we didn't wear belts. Wilmer, you know what it's like to have a body that doesn't work the way it used to. And we had folks that came to the edge of the moving truck, and they were in their prime, strong men. But now they are past their prime. And they are still strong, but they can't do it the way they used to. How many times did we hear that being said yesterday? Why? Because our bodies decay, right? These perishable bodies. I mean, we all have an expiration date upon us. 
And what Paul is talking about here as he's trying to get through to these Corinthians and trying to get them to understand the hope of the future, he says, we're just like the corn, the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown, that is these dead bodies that are one day going to be planted in the ground will be raised imperishable and will last forever. These bodies, they're sown in dishonor because even though Christ covers over all of our sins, we know that we're weak, but our bodies will be raised in glory. Our body is sown in weakness. What does that mean? Well, are there any of you who have limitations? Of course we do. We are sown, we are planted, we are buried in weakness, but we are raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. In Philippians 3.20, the apostle Paul, who was writing this letter to the Corinthians, he reminded the church at Philippi, he said, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Church, these bodies that you're wrestling with right now, and I know there are some of you who are still looking forward to your prime. There are some of you who are still growing and you are getting stronger and you are not yet what you're going to be. Those of you who don't have to shave very often because the beard doesn't come in yet. Those of you who still have to cut your hair because you have it. There are some of you who are still looking forward to your prime and you are growing and you are exercising and you're saying, I can't wait till I'm strong like dad or strong like my mother is. I know there are some of you who are in this room, but let me tell you, even once you get there, there's a time when it's going to go the other way. And Paul here is simply saying that Jesus Christ is going to transform our lowly bodies so that even after we die, we'll be given a new body that will live eternally in heaven with God. This isn't just hyperbole. It's not just a pie in the sky kind of thing. This is, this is literal truth. This is what Paul is trying to express to people. He says, look, death on this earth is not the end of things. He says in verse 44 of 1 Corinthians 15, if there's a natural body, and there is, we're standing here, sitting here in one, there's also a spiritual body because God is a God not just of the physical but of the spiritual. So it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that is Jesus, a life-giving spirit. Spiritual didn't come first, but the natural did. And after that, the spiritual. First man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, Jesus, is of heaven. And then in verse 48, as was the earthly man, Adam, so are those who are of the earth, us. We are made of the same stuff. And as is the heavenly man, Jesus, so are those who are of heaven. That is, when we are in heaven, we are going to have this new being, this new body. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. See, we bear the image of Adam in our earthly bodies. Like Adam, we are marked by sin. And we are under the same kind of curse that Adam brought upon himself and brought upon all of us. That life would be hard and limited and opposed and that even when you plant those seeds perfectly, there will be weeds and thorns and thistles that will make harvesting it hard. How many of you understand even today, as advanced as agriculture is, even with all the equipment and all the fertilizer and all the weed killer, the herbicides, the pesticides, and even with all the, 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 the global GPS mapping and all that, kind of, how many of you recognize it's still hard to harvest that crop? It's really hard if you don't live in an area that gets rain. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, look, 
We have born and we bear the image of Adam, the earthly man, but our heavenly bodies will be different. And Jesus is setting us up so that for those who believe in him, one day there will be a new body that is suited for eternity rather than just for a generation. We see that Christ was able to eat and drink and his friends could see some remnants of what his body used to be, but he was not limited by the physical anymore. After his resurrection, he could move through space and time in a way that we now cannot, but it seems that we will someday. He lived with no more concern for pain or sickness or death. He lived in a body that would never die, ready for eternity, just as we will be. In 1 Corinthians 15, 50, Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And then he goes on. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I tell you a mystery. You have to lean in and speak in a whisper when somebody talks about a mystery. I tell you a mystery. He says, we will not all sleep, that means die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have this life here on earth that is hard, and we're called to live it for God, and sometimes that brings along with it sacrifice and suffering and pain. But what Paul is saying is there will be a time when our bodies will be changed, and for eternity we will spend our time with the Lord. And you can read about the end of Revelation, or you can read from Isaiah 25 about the promises of what's going to happen on God's holy mountain and in God's holy city. It is going to be glorious, the life that we will live for eternity. But we're not there yet. And so Paul kind of wraps up this chapter about resurrection with verse 58. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, we can give ourselves fully to the work of God because we know that this world and these bodies are temporary. Break them and kill them. We still have hope. And because we have hope in God, we can live out the instruction that we find in the book of Hebrews that Ross read for us this morning. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, encouraging one another all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. I'm going to leave you with three ideas, three things that you can do this week, things that you can think about to keep you on the right track. First of all, let's do like Hebrews says and keep meeting together. This is not just about church services. If our freedom to assemble is stripped away, if our property is taken away, if our building is taken away, if some of us are put in prison or sent to faraway places, believers will still gather to encourage each other wherever we are with whoever is there. Church, let's keep meeting together and encouraging each other because we know that though this life is hard, we have a hope for a future. So let's live like it now. Secondly, let's keep living the life that Jesus called us to live, no matter what's legal, no matter what's popular, and frankly, no matter what is comfortable. This is where a lot of us get stuck. A lot of us don't want to be different. We don't like to be uncomfortable, so we search for all kinds of ways to make our faith easier. We keep grabbing for ways to make it popular. But a life of Christian faith will not be mandated or popular in this world. We can't expect to live in a world marked by love, but we will love. We don't live in a world where, where people are acting justly and following the Lord. Not yet. 
But for now, we are called to live this way, and we can stand up under any persecution at any cost, and we can go on any mission because we know that even if we die, we've got the promise of a new, better body. Do you think the corn says, no, don't plant me? Sorry, that's a terrible voice for a preacher to share. But honestly, I mean, shouldn't there be some part of us that looks forward to death? I'm not talking about being gross or like some kind of horror movie here, but Honestly, this is just a foretaste. All this stuff that we're living now, even the good stuff that we talk about, this is just an appetizer for what's yet to come. Should we dread death, really? This is why Paul is telling us, you've got so much better coming. You've got eternity coming. Don't shrink away. Don't back down. And in light of eternity, we must continue to live out the commission that Jesus gave his disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching everyone to obey everything I've commanded you. And Jesus says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Church, we must go where God calls, baptizing and teaching and remembering the promise of Jesus that life on earth is not all there is. We're just seeds getting ready to be planted so that something more full and more glorious can be raised up one day. Does that sound exciting to you? Like it sounds exciting to me? Can we pray together? Lord, show us how to live with the perspective that this life is not all there is. Jesus, I know that you came to give us life and and help us to live it to the full, but help us to remember that, that where we are is just a taste, just a tease, just an appetizer for what will be. And Lord, we can get all wrapped up in the details of when and how and what does this... Lord, help us to simply be able to be filled today with hope. Help us to be filled with hope. Remembering that these bodies are not something that we're going to be stuck with forever. These weaknesses and illnesses, these pains and these sufferings, Lord, these are not our eternal condition. Lord, you are preparing something new and better, and it's a mystery to us. We don't understand exactly what it's going to look like, but Lord, we believe you, and we have hope in you. And we trust that when you promise us new life, when you promise us better bodies, when you promise us perfect fellowship, and when you promise us an eternity with no more pain or suffering or crying or death, Lord, we believe it, and now today we hold on to it. Help us to live it. Help us, Lord. While we're here, we still need your Holy Spirit to guide us. So Holy Spirit, come and fill us up and help us to stand firm whether that means that we stand here and continue meeting together, or whether that means that some of us walk out and go to other places and and take your spirit there. Lord, help us to keep on mission because we we know that this isn't all there is. There is so much more to come when we stand firm with you and keep our hopes planted on Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, will you stand and sing with us? We've got a a hymn of heaven that we'd like to sing. I think that's appropriate for the moment.